Uh, so there's a, a professor, author, uh, blogger who I uh, read a, a bit uh, here and there. His name's Alan Jacobs. And he wrote recently, he, he kind of has this, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a formal declaration in some sort of like prophetic sense. He's just kind of uh, giving his readers a charge. And one of the things that he recently said is the year 2022, this year, he says we ought to think of this as the year of repair. The year of repair. And I really like that. I think our world is in a lot of need of repair right now, wouldn't you say so? These last two years, we've been stretched and broken in so many different ways. He continues to say, this is the year when we must turn our attention not to innovation or disruption or any other cool buzzwords of our day, but instead to fixing the stuff that needs fixing. <laughs> to fixing the stuff that needs fixing. Year 2022, the year of repair. Well, I think that pairs really well with the season that we're in, the season of Epiphany. This is a season in which the light of Christ is spreading throughout the world. With it, this light brings brightness, it brings illumination, it brings warmth, it brings beauty to our world. This is a season of mission and of outreach. This is a season of being equipped and being sent out. This is a season in which we read passages like the one from Luke's gospel, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and says, the scriptures are fulfilled, the kingdom of God is now. And then from this point on, being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes out into the countryside, carrying out the implications of this good news, healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed. The work of Christ is to repair this broken world. And as we'll say soon together at the concluding of our service, we'll pray together, may the broken fragments of our history, those broken fragments of our history are being gathered up in the redeeming act of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is making all things new, redeeming, restoring, remaking, repairing. Well, today we're going to be looking at the Old Testament passage, uh, our passage from Nehemiah, which, uh, Daniel, way to go on hitting all of those names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite the feat. It's quite the feat. Uh, it's a beautiful passage as well. This tells the story of the Jewish people who have been taken away from exile for many, many years. And they're coming back to Jerusalem. And they find that their home has fallen into disrepair. And Nehemiah, throughout, this, uh, throughout his book, he's telling the story of the Jews rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem amidst fierce opposition. There's a lot of challenges that come their way. The surrounding kings mock them, intimidate them, threaten them. At one point, the threats of the enemy are so severe that the Jews are, are rebuilding the wall with one hand, and in, in the other hand, they're carrying a sword in case the enemy were to come upon them suddenly. Sometimes in the book, the Jews also fall into old habits themselves, into old patterns of sin, and Nehemiah and Ezra have to encourage them to return back to the Lord. So they are living now in a state of shame, a state of fear, a state of constant stress, so imagine the wounds that these ancient repairers are carrying with them. After years of living, after generations of living in an unfamiliar country under oppressive rulers, the shame and regret of wondering whether or not God even still cares for them, and now having arrived back, finding their land in disrepair, they are seeing these physical reminders of their folly and of their failures. And now they're being ridiculed and mocked by their neighbors. 
So now, at this point, in chapter 8, they've completed the repair work that had to have been done. But yes, they may have repaired the walls, but now it's time for the Lord to repair their soul. So how does he do it? How does God do this soul work that needs to happen? How does he minister to them? How does he remove the shame and the guilt and the confusion and the hopelessness from them? Well, he does so with his word. He does so with the Bible. He does so with his ancient words. So friends, if you're here and you're broken and you're in dire need of the Lord to repair your soul, to minister to your heart this morning, there is good news in this passage. The Lord is eager to do so. And so we're going to move through this in two major sections, uh, and I'm going to break apart each of those sections. But first, we're going to look at the posture of the people, and then we're going to look at the power of the word. The posture of the people, and then the power of the word. So we see there in Nehemiah chapter chapter 8, verse 1, that the people are gathered as one man in the square. Now, to be clear, this isn't a boys' club. It also says in verse 3, all the men and the women were there as well. And you could probably assume that there were children there listening. The whole company, the entire uh, uh, Jewish people were there listening to the scriptures being opened. And think of the histories that they brought with them. No doubt they all came from different towns and villages. They had different experiences from uh, their time in exile. And they bring these different values, these different perspectives with them into the congregation. And so they must have many opportunities to disagree with one another. Maybe they argued with masking, about masking mandates or uh, whoever the political leader was at the time or any number of things, right? But when it came to seeking the healing of their community, they were united as one body. They were united as one body. So secondly, their posture, we see that they are all participating together. So in verse 1, we also see that they, that is the people themselves, told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law. So this wasn't a mandate of the bishop or the priest or the governor. No, they're not waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. No, the people themselves initiate this grand Bible study. And then in verse 3, we hear that all the ears of the people were attentive. And then in verse 6, we hear that the people are responding. They're saying, amen, amen. They're lifting up their hands. They're bowing their heads. They're, they're engaged in this Bible study in mind, body, and spirit. Do you see this? It's because they believe that God, the living God, is going to speak directly to them. They initiate, they listen, and they engage. In other words, they're fully participating in this word of God experience. So thirdly, this third, a third characteristic of the people's posture is that they are humble. In verse 6, we read that they bow their heads and they worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. The living God is present among them. They put their bodies in a posture of humility, expressing their gratitude for this undeserved gift that they are receiving. Their hearts are open to receiving from the Lord and then the priests go among the people, they, they break them up into small groups, and then they have some, some time of discussion, they have some time to ask questions, they have some time to engage the text as the leaders are going around and teaching the people, and they humbly receive the word. So what can we take from this? Well, I think one thing is that we can, we can say that if you're here this morning, lean into the liturgy, lean into the participation Come here and, and seek to open the word. I, I love that because of a lot of requests from all of you, a lot of you are saying, we, we want more opportunities to open up the scriptures. In fact, even before, um, well, when we were starting weekly services at Restoration, several of you would come to me and say, hey, why don't we have a Sunday school yet? Why don't we have a Sunday school? And it's like, 
it's because we're doing a setup and teardown church all the time. You know, there's a lot of work that's going on right now. But now in this beautiful building, one of the benefits of it is we just had this morning a Sunday Bible school this morning. And that was because of the initiation of a lot of you. So that's awesome. And then also when it comes to the liturgy, like participate in it. You know, enjoy these words that have been handed down to us um, from the ages. And can you imagine all the different emotions that would have been represented in this congregation? We hear of it. We hear that there's those who are weeping. We hear those that are excited. You know, but nonetheless, they are all engaging with open hearts in this. I'm sure they're borrowing the faith of their neighbors. They're expressing their emotions with one another as they're engaging with the text. And then humbly, they are open to receiving from the word. They are united. They are participating. They are humble. So they are ready to receive the Lord's gentle repairs for their soul. So now what is the power of the word of God? Well, we see in the second paragraph that the people are weeping. They're sad by all of this. The people are weeping because as they're reading the the law of Moses, that is the book of Deuteronomy, and they're reading through the law, they're they're reading the Ten Commandments, they're they're hearing about all of God's instructions on how uh, a good nation is uh, supposed to behave, and they're just completely filled with sorrow and sadness over this. Because they're reading that their lifestyle is not in accordance with what God's law prescribes. They see the holiness of God and what's required of them, and they're realizing we don't measure up to this. We've blown it so significantly. The bright light of God's word is revealing their impurity. His faithfulness is challenging their disloyalty. His compassion is exposing their selfishness. You see, the word of God exposes to us our sin. That's the biblical word for what is being exposed in this moment. But the good news is not only does the Bible um, uh, tell us uh, what our problem is, the scriptures give us a remedy to it as well. The priests say to the people, dry your tears. There is good news here. Dry your tears. We have the remedy. Now, we know because uh, Nehemiah is very diligent at recording the dates and things like this, and if we were ancient Jews, we, w- we would have known exactly what time of year it was. When this was written, when this event was happening, 10 days later would be the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And this is the annual feast, the annual declaration of God's mercy and forgiveness. The priests would be making sacrifices, um, making peace with God through this. And at one moment, as a symbol of God's forgiveness, they would bring forth a goat. The priest would place his hands upon that goat to symbolize the sin of the people transferring onto that goat. And then he would release it out into the wilderness. And then the priest would turn to the people and say, your sin is sent out. Your sin is removed from you. You are clean now. So dry your tears. Dry your tears. So the word of God, the the first sort of sign of the power of the word of God is that it deals with our sin. We have a remedy for our sin there in the word of God. Secondly, what do we see? Well, in verse 10, Ezra tells the people, eat the fat food, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this is the day of the Lord. Bart last week preached on uh, the, the feast at Cana and, and the kind of the good life that God wants us to enjoy. And we see that here and again. The Lord wants us to enjoy the goodness of his creation. In other words, the best, fruit, the best food is brought out. But did you catch what else was included in that? Send portions to anyone who has nothing. 
Send portions to those who can't afford this or who don't even have access to the best. In other words, don't forget to include the poor in your celebrations. So reading the book of Moses convinces them that God cares for the poor, the widows, the fatherless, the orphans. In fact, anyone who has nothing. So when our ears are attentive to scripture, then our eyes are opened to the needs of others. As one scholar says, the false dichotomy between personal experience and practical compassion is not permissible for any Christian who takes the scripture seriously. You see, friends, when our soul is repaired, we are called to repair the brokenness of the world around us. The gospel is not good news for the poor. Let me say that again. If the gospel of God is not good news for the poor, then it is not good news for anyone. The word of God expands our horizons. It opens our homes. It has us redraw our borders so that we can bring in those who are poor and hungry and lost. Thirdly, we see in Nehemiah uh, verse uh, 11 that the priests calmed the people. They say, be quiet, for this day is holy. Calm the people. Now, the priests aren't angry. They're not running around being like, be quiet, you. You know, <laughs> they're not doing that. That's not what's happening here. It was a, yeah. No, they're comforting the people in this moment. To a distressed people, they're proclaiming peace. And then they say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that phrase. Sometimes we sing that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In the Hebrew language, this particular word for strength is often applied to uh, uh, structures, to buildings, to well-fortified um, fortresses, <laughs> to well-protected fortresses. And so when people are in trouble, we're seeing here that the Lord himself is a strong refuge. His goodness, his deeds, his grace is a place of refuge. And so on this day, the people discover deep peace and joy of the Lord when they open their hearts and experience the repair work of God. God's word has the power to repair a community. And supremely, we see this in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the word made flesh, who walks among us. This is what he declared to us in, in uh, Luke's gospel that we just read. Jesus is the one who upon the cross dealt with our sin, securing forgiveness for all. By his teaching, his wisdom expands our horizon and opens our eyes to the needs of the poor and the broken. By his spirit, we, we experience his abundant life of peace and of joy. Jesus is the word of God, living and active here in this place, repairing even our broken souls. So I'd like to conclude with a, a bit of um, silly homework. Uh, this also comes from uh, Alan Jacobs, but I, I think you'll like this. So my homework for you, my, my charge for you this week, is to find something in your home that needs to be repaired. Find something in your home that needs to be fixed. Tim, you laughed. I'm suspecting there might be a couple things. Yeah, just a couple things. Great. <laughs> Maybe it's a, it's a, um, a pair of rusty gardening uh, shears. Maybe it's an old guitar that needs cleaning, cleaning and restringing. Maybe it's a shirt that needs a new button. Or maybe for you digitally-minded folks, maybe it's a, it's a website and your, your links are broken or something like that. You, know, you need to go through and polish it up a little bit. But what's something in your home that needs repair? And so the second part of that 
is how can you turn your repair into an act of prayer? How can you turn your repair into an act of prayer? One of our values here at Restoration is contemplation. And then also wholeness. Uh, Wholeness, we believe that the gospel of Christ applies to every area of life, every nook and cranny of our lives. And so uh, with that contemplative spirit, may we invite God into the prayer-filled repair activity that we engage in. Maybe as you're fixing your garden shears, which it's very cold out. I don't know if you have a use for garden shears right now. But as you're fixing them, maybe you would pray, pray out, Lord, may you prune my soul that I might bear more fruit for you. Or as you're restringing a guitar, Lord, tune my thoughts that I might sing your praises more clearly. Or as you're putting a button on a new shirt, Lord, clothe me in your righteousness. Or a website, Lord, may I point to that which is true and noble. So how can your physical work become a spiritual prayer? So in that light, let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the living word. You move among us. You are the gentle, great high priest who speaks peace and calm to our soul. So Lord, I pray that we would take on a a posture of openness. May we be engaged with your word. May we humbly receive from your word, Lord Jesus Christ. By your spirit, empower us here at Restoration to be united, attentive, and expectant of your work among us. Lord Jesus, you know the wounds that we carry. O carpenter from Nazareth, O crucified Messiah, repair the broken pieces of our heart, our church, and our neighborhoods, that we might experience more fully your peace and your joy. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.